Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, and as always, thank you for spending the half hour with us today. We've really certainly appreciated it. I know I'm sounding a little bit like Fred Rogers today. I'm in between cups of coffee, so it'll ki- the new cup of coffee will kick in in just a second. So, in the meantime, <laughs> Julie tuned. and I are finishing off. Yeah, stay tuned. So, Julie and I are finishing off. Hey, uh, where we left off yesterday about don't decrease the goal, increase the effort, and this is the last uh, five parts. Hey, Julie, can you call back in? Yep, you got it. Okay, this is the last of five parts, and so on this, what we're going to do is we're going to be drilling down and doing our best to make this. Uh, what we presented to you over the last four shows, a little bit more practical and tactical. Now, I've been receiving a lot of phone calls, a lot of um, emails and chats, and just you guys get hold of us every possible way. And one of the constant recurring themes I'm hearing from a lot of people are they're just feeling a little bit uncertain about the market. We had a call yesterday with our HECAs, their Harris Certified Coaches, and if you're interested in becoming a Harris Certified Coach, remember just email me directly, tim at timandjulieharris.com. And in the subject line, put HCCA. So what they're experiencing and what everyone's experiencing is a lot of uncertainty about what the spring market's going to be like. And Julie and I have been doing our best to be as direct as we possibly can without coming off as jerks for the last year and a half, telling you exactly that this market correction was going to happen. A lot of people are shell-shocked. Uh, still from the last housing downturn that happened, you know, basically in 2007. So essentially 12 years ago-ish, a lot of people were taken completely by surprise, and many people have never completely come back. Even if they came back uh, financially, they never came back emotionally and psychologically. It reminds me, actually, Julie's of, uh, reminds me of Julie's uh, dearly departed uh, grandma, whose name was actual birth name was Minnie, and uh, she used to collect things. She used to collect, like I remember going over to her house. And uh, she'd have these massive balls of rubber bands <laughs> because she would just not throw anything out. Well, that's because she lived through uh, the Depression. And there's a lot of you guys who are, have, uh, you know, are essentially still suffering the psychological impact of the Great Recession. Well, let's be honest, that was, for many of you, the very – it was a, a, a real true depression and that it was devastating to your personal and business lives. Now, why did Julie and I pick up uh, where – you know, why would we start talking about this before everybody else was talking about it? Why did we start talking about the inevitable downturn in the housing market 18 to 24 months ago? And why were we so aggressive about it? There's no logical reason if you think from our perspective, because the truth is, guys, it actually is counterproductive to us selling coaching. So we actually did what we thought was right for you guys, despite what was best for us. And I want you to read into what I just said. The reason that the industry on a whole does not deliver the information to you that we do, the reason especially anyone that's trying to sell you anything, coaches, uh, people trying to sell you leads and CRMs and marketing, all this other stuff, the reason that they'll never tell you what we tell you is because it's more difficult to sell things to people in general when they're not feeling optimistic. So 
and I'm telling you guys this because I need you to be smart entrepreneurs and business people and not be seduced by the easy button as we enter into this market because it's going to become noticeably different for many of you in 2019 and 2020 and probably 2022 and 23 as well. Here is my point. We wanted to tell you what we saw was going to happen so you could be prepared because we saw it as our moral and ethical obligation, even if it was not the best business move for us. We could have sold more coaching contracts over the last couple of years had we just basically been, you know, spouting rainbows and unicorns. But we wanted to tell you the truth so you didn't suffer like so many other people did back during the great housing crash in 2006, 7, and 8. If you don't, if you didn't live through that, if you let you, everyone on this call lived through it, on the show lived through it, but not, how many of you were actually selling real estate then? Probably 30% of you were selling real estate then. So you really have no clue what it was like to actually have to be in the market back during that uh, time period. You don't. You don't have any idea. You think you know, but trust me when I tell you, you don't know. So we know the devastation that that, frankly, that can occur to people's personal economies, to their personal lives, and we're not going to get into the weeds and the types of things that we saw happen to people, but I will leave it at this. It was our obligation to do whatever it took to save as many of you as possible from your own natural tendency to be complacent and, let's be honest, lazy, uh, even, even if we are completely going against the tides, which we did. Now here's what happened. First quarter 2019, pretty much everybody is coming around to realize what Julie and I have been telling you guys for the last forever was exactly spot on. And finally, thank God, the industry not completely, <laughs> not completely, but the industry is actually starting to tell the truth. And I mean it just like that, tell the truth as well. Now, how can I say something that sounds so salacious? And here's why. Because Julie and I talk to the quote-unquote industry leaders, broker owners, managers, team leaders, franchise holders, region holders, whatever you want to call them. We talk to people that are in, that are in positions of influence that have been consciously choosing not to use their influence to better prepare you guys for the changing market out of their own self-interest. Do you understand what I just said? Now, there are great brokerages that have been doing what we've been doing. Douglas Elliman, uh, you know, Elite Pacific, and there's a lot, of other mar a lot of other great brokers who have been absolutely positively giving their agents the best information they possibly could so the agents could prepare themselves financially and psychologically for a shifting market. But a vast majority of the industry, especially those who are in the business of selling stuff to realtors, they have not been telling what I know they know to be the truth about the changing market out of their own self-interest. Right? Now, I need you, all you listening, between 100 and 200,000 of you listen to us on a regular basis, I need you guys to be really, really smart about the decisions that you make going forward in your real estate business because here's what's going to happen. It's going to get worse for a longer period of time than you can imagine before it gets better. And when it gets better, it gets better pretty fast. In this changing time, what Julie and I call a phase two market, and, and again, I've been talking about this every single day, and it's really critical that you do this. Go to our website, timandjulieharris.com. And click on, go to the search button, which is in the upper right-hand uh, section of our website, and put in the word Real Estate Reset. You're going to then be able to listen to replays of four podcasts we did, which we call, you know, re basically the phases of the Real Estate Reset. Go and listen to each of those podcasts. 
Those podcasts were designed for two reasons. One, to educate you as to what to look for in your market to know where, what phase you're in, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, and then also to educate you so you can educate your uh, customers and your clients so that they too can know what phase the real estate market is in. Do you guys understand what I'm saying here? So go and listen to those podcasts. It is critical for you. If you not just want to survive in this changing market but thrive in this changing market, it's critical that you accept the fact that in all reality, everything that you were using and doing to generate and maintain business in the past seller's market will be completely useless or mostly useless as we switch into this new market. All the rules change in a market like this. Don't wait to find out what I'm telling you is true. Be proactive and learn what is necessary so you guys can get way ahead of the curve. And you can embrace this new market because here's the thing. There is not – there is an increased need for real estate professionals in a market like this. There is more demand for real estate professionals in a market like this. When it's a seller's market, all the little Weasley companies that try to disintermediate or remove realtors from the center of the transaction, they can flourish because sellers know that the, the house sells itself for the most part, right? In a market like this where it takes real skill to get a house sold, where it essentially takes a professional to get the house sold, sellers do not risk with the Weasley companies. They're going to go with the people who they perceive to be the professionals in the marketplace. It does not take that much learning to, know, to be someone who can be of service to sellers in this marketplace. But here's the good news. Your competition, many of the people who have been top producers in your marketplace, will fall by the wayside. Why? Because they're not going to take the time to learn the skills necessary. Because they have arrogance or ignorance, they're going to just assume what they already know is going to work in this new market. And it never does. And you can start eating their lunch. That's the reason that Julie and I said 2019 is the year of the expired listing. Because all the agents out there, a vast majority of them have been taking listings, do not know how to take listings in a changing market where the prices are falling, where the sellers are going to become more particular. They do not know how to compete. You need to learn how to thrive in this market. And when you do, you will be so <laughs> amazed with how, many, how much opportunity comes to you. Because what happens in a market like this is, A, sellers become more selective, and we teach you basically how to basically be the, seller that this, you know, be the agent that the seller needs in a market like this, because we're going to teach you all the different how to price, how to lower prices, how to get the listing the first time, how to deal with sellers that are maybe potentially upsell, upside down like a short sale, all these other pieces and parts to real estate transactions that you don't have to deal with as much in a seller's market. That's what you need to learn now and about, uh, frankly, about 10 or 15 things in addition to that that are really critical. When you do, your world shifts. And here's the good news, the really, really, really good news. Not only are sellers going to be less likely to uh, consider doing business with one of the hanky-janky companies that have crept up. You know, you can call them commission cutters or all these other type things. Not only are they going to become more selective on the agents that they hire, they're going to become more selective on the brokerages that they hire. But here's the really great part. There's more demand, as I said, for agents with skill sets like you will have and once you have those skill sets, you will literally be able to pick and choose the sellers you're going to be able to do business with. And then I want you to become particular of the sellers you do business with so you can just focus on the sellers that are most motivated. Julie, does that make sense? It absolutely does, and it's not just because we're reporting all of the changes, although I don't, we had to count some week 
how many actual phone calls between you and I to actual agents, you know, our boots on the ground troops out there buying and selling with people. It's, I don't know, hundreds at least between us and all the coaches. So it's not just us, but I uh, came across an article this morning in Bloomberg that's headline is this, U.S. recession risk hits six-year high amid trade war and shutdown. And they went into a lot of charts and graphs and things that Bloomberg likes to do. But we are seeing more reporting on this. And certainly the most salient for all of you guys is the price reduction conversations that we're having. I told you uh, on my premier coaching call yesterday, we had two short sale questions that came up. So things are definitely yep. changing. It, it's funny that you mentioned my uh, grandma, Minnie. <laughs> That's very interesting and strange, one of those moments, because uh, I wanted to share a story on this podcast. It's in the tail end of our notes that we've been going through uh, this week. About Minnie? About don't. No, well, don't decrease the goal, increase the effort. This story that I'm about to read, which will only take a couple of minutes and then we'll talk about it, was one of her favorite stories. She had uh, mm. several books and, you know, she was like really into this particular story. So that's just kind of odd that you mentioned it. Anyway, uh, I, I clipped this from a fun hey, website. Julie, you probably know. Julie, yes. it's not yes. odd. We've been married for almost 30 years. You and I share a brain. We have a shared brain. We've become like the board so from Star Trek. It is. <laughs> I know. It's just funny how it manifests okay. sometimes. So, well, you uh, know, but, story... here, here's what, but here's what's really funny. Honestly, during markets like this, I always think about your grandma because she always used to tell us stories about the recession or about the depression. The, I the always actual think depression, about people. not our recession, yes. the actual real deal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so she's kind of like my go-to in my mind for my internal coaching when it comes to, you know, trying times like what we're going to be entering into. Anyway, huh. go ahead. Sorry. It did stay with her. You were you were talking about the rubber bands. I remember she used to wash out Ziploc bags so she could reuse them. Um, <laughs> all kinds of things. She used to tell us a story when we were kids. She told a story about how uh, the, the devaluation of money that people used to bring shopping carts full of of dollar bills just to buy a loaf of bread. That it was that bad. I mean that stuff sticks with you, obviously, and lots more stories yeah. like that. So. This particular um, summation of, and this story is about exploring Antarctica, okay? And what it's really about is perseverance and being consistent. And this is republished many, many different places, but I happened to clip it off of a, a fun site called The Art of Manliness. <laughs> so it's also, by the way, in the front of many business journals as an example story. So here it goes. It's nicknamed the 20-mile march, that's what the story is called. Uh, and it's about the accumulation effect. In 1910, two explorers began their quests to become the first men ever to set foot upon the southernmost point on Earth. It was the, quote, heroic age of Antarctic exploration. And the South Pole represented one of the last unexplored areas on Earth. Robert Falcon Scott, that's one Grandma used to have books about, hoped to claim the bottom of the world for England and rolled Amundsen wished to plant the Norwegian flag there on behalf of his countrymen. So they were going out at the same time. Now, despite their common goal, the two adventurers' approach to their expeditions were quite different, as were the end results. Amundsen reached the South Pole first and returned home on a trip that was relatively smooth and straightforward. Scott arrived at 90 degrees south only to experience the crushing disappointment of seeing one of Amundsen's flags flapping in the wind. He would never make it back. He and his four companions died of starvation, exhaustion, and exposure as they attempted to make the 700-mile return trip 
to their base camp. I can't imagine walking 700 miles, much less at the South Pole, but okay. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we did this week in nursery. <laughs> well, that's true. Good point. Um, some have painted the differences between the men and their respective expeditions too simplistically. Amundsen as the brilliant leader and Scott as an utter, utterly incompetent boob. But in truth, both men had strengths and flaws and both men made mistakes. And there's much merit in the struggle, even if it ends in tragedy. And uh, you can certainly admire Scott's courage and character and his stoicism as he faces death. So again, lots of writing on this. But the outcome of any endeavor is decided by the weights of a scale. On one side lies fate, risk, circumstance, and on the other, preparations and tactics and your heart. The adventurer cannot know exactly how much will be loaded on the luck side of the scale when he sets out, but he can overload the other side as much as possible in hopes of tipping the chance in his favor. This is what Amundsen did, and how he did it reveals a lot of strikingly clear insights into how you can reach your goals. So that was that piece, and I now have to quickly look up. I was just using this in Premiere the other day, um, the 20 mile. Sorry, I should have had that ready. Basically, it comes down to this. Uh, here it is. Um, both teams would be traveling the same distance as each other through extremely harsh weather conditions. Each team took a different approach. Okay, so here's the different approaches. Scott's team would walk as far as possible on the good weather days and then rest up on the bad days to conserve energy. This should put light bulbs off in our listeners' brains. That's working when you feel like working when conditions are right, isn't it? Well, conversely, Amundsen's team adhered to a strict regimen of consistent progress by walking 20 miles a day every day, no matter what the weather. While on good days, Amundsen's team was very capable of walking further, he was adamant that they would walk no more than 20 miles each day to conserve their energy. Of course, he was the team that won is the moral of the story. Okay, So he did what they didn't want to do when they didn't want to do it, extremely consistently, and stuck to a specific path. Remember the word focus, follow one course until successful. That's what he did. He won. Not only did he get there first, but he also made it back alive. So that's my cautionary tale. <laughs> to without so what Harris, you will, real estate brains. Yes. Mrs. Harris, you better uh, save all of that because that we can reuse a billion times. That was fantastic. Yep. So string all those well, things together and make sure you save that. That would be fantastic for live events. Cool? Right. You got it. And it's relatively short and yeah. digestible. You know, I can – I think – I like it because it paints a picture, right? It, it already – pretty much sucks what they're doing, right? I mean, what's a warm day in Antarctica? It can't be really that balmy. So it's already not going to be that pleasant. How do you go about conquering that? And, you know, I like these two different approaches. Both of them seem pretty logical, but the consistent one won. So I want to talk with you, Julie. I, I think we're done with your notes, right? And so the yep. time remaining, yep. one, of the, one of the questions I get all the time and you hear this in different, ver in different iterations, is people don't feel motivated. And I know that that's a, like there's a billion dollars and billions and billions of dollars that are sold, Chairman Carl Sagan there, billions and billions of dollars and stuff that's sold to agents and people in general who are lacking motivation. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the stuff that's out there about motivation is just nothing other than mental masturbation, basically. It's just feel-good, woo-woo stuff. And it's not practical and tactical enough. And that's the reason agents will go from, like, you know, the, I think they were listening to us, not just for motivate. We don't intentionally try to motivate people, but they say that they walk away after listening to us feeling motivated. And, and I need all of you guys to realize what the difference is because you can manifest this within yourself. Motivation is not some elusive thing that comes and goes. The problem is motivation is an emotion. It's like passion. 
And a lot of you think that you can't be successful unless you have passion for whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing. A lot of you use that as your excuse, and you need to be very plain and very practical and tactical when you're thinking this through. So, like, this is where I have a picture of Julie's grandma named Minnie. And by the way, this is the ironic part of, uh, <laughs> of, of Minnie. Minnie was really, really short, but how they knew she'd be really, really short Wait. when she was born – to name her Minnie oh, no. is beyond me. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But in she any event, so her, her That's birth pretty day, tiny. <laughs> Julie, do you think if they named her, you know, Stretch or some, you know, a tall name, do you think she would have been taller? I think so. I think oh, no, they gave maybe. her a short name, and basically, and basically, her body only grew a certain. Because exactly. <laughs> but you know, any, when I'm thinking so about funny. this stuff, I always think back to you know a generation or two ago, and how when they would have come across, or had they come across some of the motivation, motivational puffery that's around nowadays, how they must, or how they would just scoff at it, because they know at the end of the day, the tried and true way to long-term ever levels of increasing success is always about doing what you don't want to do, and you don't want to do it at the highest level. There are no shortcuts. But it started, guys. I, I, this is part of our new book, but I'll just kind of go back to stay focused on the point. When you're looking for motivation, you have to realize that all motivation is going to come on the other side of action. It's not going to come on the other side of a bunch of thinking. It's not going to come on the other – and going to a seminar or watching a video is not action. That's just more of the same. Real, true, ever-increasing levels of motivation, the actual feeling of motivation comes and goes. The action that leads towards the goal cannot be tied to the emotion. And you all need to realize that the longer you believe that you can't be successful unless you have passion for something, unless you're feeling motivated, the longer you believe that's true, I will not be successful today, I don't feel motivated. That's just a bullshit excuse. That's really at the end of the day what it is. Think about the example Julie gave you, the story about the Antarctica uh, you know, thing. I can tell you for sure that uh, those people were not motivated to, to walk 20 miles when it was the, just the worst conditions on the face of the earth, right? I promise you they weren't motivated to do it, but they had to do it regardless because they were doing what they didn't want to do and they didn't want to do it at the highest level. Do you? How many of you ever do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level? Okay, so let's break that down because this is where a lot of you get stuck. And I always like to go back to like talking about working out because it's something everyone can visualize themselves doing or not doing, right? All right, so you're going to go to Orange Theory, and you're going to sign up to the club. You know, you're going to do the thing three days a week. You're going to, okay, I'm committed. I'm sick of Tim and Julie making fun of me indirectly because I know I need to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to do it. This is a new year, the whole thing. Okay, so a lot of people, I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's you know, it should be obvious that all these sort of fitness situations, clubs and gyms, they have a surge of membership. The start of the end of the uh, end of one year into the, uh, the beginning of the following, because everybody looks in the mirror and says, I'm a fat bastard. I need to lose some weight. And so they say, OK, I'm going to go to Orange Theory. But here's what you see. And I see this happening in our Orange Theory gym, too. A whole bunch of new faces that a won't be there in uh, two or three months because they quit. But B, when they're there, they're really not putting in any effort. They're not even sweating. They just show up, and they don't hardly do anything. And that goes back to the doing what you don't want to do, which in this example is going to Orange Theory. When you don't want to do it, which if you're anything like me or Julie, it's pretty much all the time. We never want to go to Orange Theory. But then the last part that most of you leave off the uh, – you, know, you forget or you just haven't accepted yet is at the highest level. Okay, let's go back to the people walking in Antarctica. 
You could not half-ass walking 20 miles in sub-zero temperatures. You could not, like, say, you know what? No, I'm good. I'm just going to trail back here, and you guys can go ahead of me. I'm going to walk a little bit slower, and then the polar bears would eat you. So what you, where we fall on our faces is when we say, okay, I'm committed. I'm motivated. Oh, I feel like I'm going to take the world by – okay, and then what happens? I don't feel like it, man. I'm just out. I don't feel like it. I don't feel good. I'm going to cruise around on Facebook. I'm going to put in some Instagram videos. I'm going to send some emails, and I'm going to call it a day. Oh, didn't make any money. Didn't make any money. Months wrote, and then you have the worst year ever. That's what happened to many of you last year. Were you paying attention? How long have you been listening to us as we told you all the passive stuff doesn't work in a changing market? Many of you are just now taking seriously what we said and just now realizing that you need to realize that proactive lead generation is the only way to go supplemented or reinforced by the passive stuff. All of you guys try to do the passive stuff because it's easier, because there's no chance of ever hearing the words no. But as long as you're not hearing the word no at least five times a day, you're not doing your job. I'm going to go back to this. This is one of the bedrocks of our coaching program. Do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. All right, let's make this practical towards real estate. And again, I hope what you're realizing is I'm not talking about mindset. I'm not talking about jumping around on your desk. I'm not talking about building dream boards. I'm not talking about walking on hot coals. It, look, if you guys want to do that, it has to be a supplement to the doing of what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. It has to be basically a hobby or sort of an interest. You know, maybe you maybe this is you want to go to Tony Robbins and walk on coals, and you do that after you've earned the right to do it because of the fact that you've taken ten listings because you're earning money because you're doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Don't believe that short-term motivation is what you, what you truly need. What you truly need is to accept the fact that ever-increasing levels of success comes on the other side of sucking it up buttercup and doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's just the truth. So in your real estate business, here's a fun question we always like to ask. What are the things that get you paid? You know what they are. It's lead generation. It's pre-qualifying, lead follow-up, presenting, and closing. Those five things fundamentally. Okay, Those five things get you paid. But specifically, and I said this a second ago, how often are you putting yourself in a position to, say, to hear the word no? That would be you know, if you had a listing. How often are you asking for price reductions? If you don't have any listings and you're living in fear of learning how to be a listing agent, it's because you're living in fear of being, having a sense of rejection, hearing no. Look at all the things that you are holding yourself back from actually learning and mastering because of your fear of hearing the word no. Have you ever consciously thought about that? Why are you attracted to somebody who's going to tell you you could build your business around marketing? Why is it that you're attracted to somebody who lies to you and tells you you can build your business around social networking? Why? Because you're trying to avoid hearing the word no. You are always going to be struggling month to month, having really crappy cash flow, if any cash flow at all, as long as you're doing things passively in your business. That's the truth. You're always going to be struggling and wondering why you're struggling if you only work when you feel quote-unquote motivated. The true, the true professional does not wait for an emotion before they take action because here's the secret. And it, it shouldn't be a secret because you all know this intuitively. Your emotions will follow your actions. I'll go back to Orange Theory. 
I literally never want to go. But we go four days of the week. Thank God we don't have to go today because this is our day off. We made it. But when, Yes, we made it. Julie and I went four days. So uh, that's how we feel. So um, here's what happens. I start on the, Julie and I start on the treadmill. The treadmill is for a half hour. I never feel like being on the treadmill. I do not want to be on the treadmill. I hate the treadmill. The ha- treadmill hates me. It hates me even more than the roarer does. But when I'm on the treadmill, it takes me almost exactly 10 minutes before my emotional state tar- starts to change. I've actually observed my physiological change from feeling, oh, got to do this again, to, hey, this is easy. I kind of enjoy it. It's a physiological change, not a mental one. Hmm, interesting. So something changes in the physiology of my body and in yours that causes my emotional state to change. You guys understand what I just said? If you're wanting to feel a certain way and you want it to feel you want to feel a certain way consistently, not just now and then, the way you do it is you get into action doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. In the course of being in action, your emotions, that of feeling motivated, that of feeling good and optimistic, they always follow. If you try to get the benefit of that feeling and then take the action, you will very rarely actually get anything done. Julie, I'm sure you, you see people suffering through this on Premiere. Anything you'd like to tell on, on this? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think fairly logically and analytically, I believe. And if you go back to the Antarctic expedition, the guy that didn't make it, the one that only was uh, taking his guys marching through the snow on nice weather days, let's call that, you know, doing what they wanted, what they probably didn't want to do, but (laughs) made themselves do because it was a nice day. The problem with this is that you don't know, especially back then, it's not like they could check their iPhones for the weather report, right? How did they know that they would ever have enough nice days to make it to the finish line, much less to make it back? So if you're only working when you feel like it and you don't know when it's going to strike the mood again, that's not a plan. That's 1,000% winging it. That's how you get eaten by polar bears, right? I mean, there's no planning to that. It's not logical. There's no reason to it. You don't know whether you're going to feel like it 70 days this year or maybe only seven days where the mood's going to strike you the right way and you're going to actually feel like it. Lots of things, excuse me, in work, you're never going to feel like doing. I don't know a single person that pops out of bed going, oh, right, it's time to do my lead follow-up. It's time to go door knocker for sale by owner. I can't wait to talk to that probate lead. That's not normal. You're never going to feel like it. That's why it's called work, okay? Vacation is what you feel like, but that's the reward for doing the things that you never want to do when you don't want to do them, but also doing them at a really high level. Both guys showed up to try and get to the South Pole. They showed up, okay, that's that first step, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it, okay, when you don't want to do it, it's that at the highest level that's starting to matter more and more. See, when the market is super hot and houses sell themselves, having to do your job at the highest level is not as much of a necessity because the market smooths all that over, doesn't it? You can get away with more. You can get away with slightly inaccurate pricing, you can get away with taking too long on your lead follow-up because they'll hunt you down and say, this is a house I want to see. But when things get a little bit tough, the doing it at the highest level can be, mean the difference between meeting or exceeding your goals this year or you know, becoming a real estate statistic, which really I don't think any of our podcast listeners or coaching clients should ever be allowed to do. 
under our watch. They shouldn't. But, you know, some hey, of them will ignore us. I got to get to them. I have to get to a coaching call, and so do you. So listen, guys, here's your homework. Number one, if you've not listened to the Reset uh, podcast, go do so. Uh, Number two, a lot of you are in desperate need of a free coaching call. Just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Um, and then you will. I want you to download Real Estate Treasure Map. If you've not completed your 2019 business plan yet, honestly, you're behind. You need to catch up. Just download Real Estate Treasure Map. That is your 2019 fill-in-the-blank business plan. Get that done. And also, Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate, which is a great book um, that will help you uh, focus your mind on, you know, all the good stuff. It's a, it's a, anyway, download those two books. <laughs> listen to them. I'm sorry, read them. And if you need Julie and I for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time... Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.